Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, as always, Alfred Tabax, joined, as always, I said hey. that twice, but by Andy Spiteri. Hey, everybody. Yeah. How are you? So, uh, this week, we're going to talk about some stuff, you know, being very descriptive there. Um, one of the first things I want to hit on was some of the DLC information that we got for Breath of the Wild, the Champions Ballad. So, we got two, I guess, major pieces of information. Um, and this happened at the mm-hmm. Zelda Masterclass uh, at the Japan Expo. So the first one was that we're still playing as Link. Um, I know a lot of people thought maybe we get to play as Zelda this time or maybe we get to play as one of the heroes or champions, but uh, you're still Link. Um, and then second is that the story will take place after Ganon's defeat. So this is post everything that happened in the original game or the the first part of the game, I guess. So this is kind of a sequel. I'd view it more along the lines of an epilogue. I Super guess surprising. Classified, I yeah. I mean, I didn't think that they were necessarily going to do something like a completely different story. Um, but I could see why they're doing it, kind of. I mean, they talked, or uh, I think it was Aonuma talked about how if they were going to do a sequel, it's pretty far off in the future, and they're not really looking at that right now. So I guess that this is the sequel to Breath of the Wild in a way. Um, well, like, I, I just think it's surprising because all signs are kind of pointed towards um, the the DLC taking place in the in the past, like 100 years prior, which mm-hmm. I would still kind of argue that all signs are pointing to that happening anyways, at least in terms of flashbacks, like somewhere mm-hmm. along the line. But uh, yeah, I was, I was kind of surprised because it sounds like it's going to be an epilogue, but then like the fact that they're making Amiibo of the champions, uh, the original four champions, would lead you to believe that they have a pretty prominent part in this. Yeah, uh, that's, that's where I'm confused. Mm-hmm. Well, um, obviously, they can't have a prominent part if they've already been, uh, you know, spoilers killed. So, Well, but you get to the point, too, because there's, there's the confusing thing is that in the um, trailer, I guess, the short trailer about it, um, Zelda goes to meet Riju, uh, the... The Kuro, like, princess. Yeah. Um, and so that indicates that this is during, you know, this current timeline or this current time as opposed to in the past because Urbosa was in charge of it way back when. Um, so you run into that issue if you want to say that it's going to take place in the past of, okay, well, why is Riju in charge of the Gerudo right now? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's a little confusing, I guess. Like you were like you were saying though, the weird thing is, is that um, the champions are going to be at the forefront of this. Obviously, by the name and the fact that we're getting four amiibo based off of them, it kind of leaves you wondering. Okay, so why are they being featured so prominently if this is taking place after the entire game? Unless what you're saying is like too, if they're doing flashbacks. Like my my speculation would be to anyone that's ever seen an episode of Lost or Orange is the New Black, 
I think that they're going to kind of follow that formula where like the story takes present in the future, but it'll, it'll pan back to flashbacks at certain moments uh, that revolve around certain characters. So I think that would make sense to have maybe like the story, like if it was focusing on Riju a little bit in the present um, flash backwards to see maybe how Urbosa became such an awesome warrior, like how she got into the champions or something like that. I would suspect that, you're going to kind of see how the original four champions got together. And then at the end of this DLC, you're going to see their descendants kind of come together as well to form a new um, band of champions. Because they they never really did that. Like, they all helped out Link during the adventure, but they never had that awesome shot of, Mm -hmm. like, like the new champions. Like, I wrote wrote something that's coming out uh, on Monday that kind of alluded to this, but, like, they never had that like sweet Avengers shot of like all the new champions <laughs> teaming up or whatever. So I, I, if I had to guess, I think we're going to get something kind of like that in uh, in this DLC. Yeah, I could see that. It's where you know Zelda's like, well, Ganon could come back at any point, so we need more champions or whatever mm-hmm. to operate the beasts or the divine beasts. So, um, which is a little confusing because technically, like, if you want to think about it, the spirits of the champions still haven't passed on. Uh, it's what it is. Um, but yeah, we don't really, again, have a lot of information on it. It's coming out, you know, later on uh, this year. Soon-ish, I guess. So look forward to it because we are. Uh, it's some more story content for Breath of the Wild. So that's always exciting. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm interested to see um, if the dungeon will follow the same mechanics too. Because, um, I mean... Obviously, there's not a fifth divine beast unless there is yeah. uh, kicking around. So what I was kind of hoping was, was like a dungeon that um, that really kind of focused on all the champions' different strengths and stuff. Like if you needed to use Rivali's Gale or if you needed to use uh, Druk's Protection or anything like that to to get past certain <laughs> certain segments in the dungeon. I'm not exactly sure how that would work, but... Uh, um, yeah, that's an interesting thing because... The way that they built the game is in such a way that you could go the whole game without ever having any of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, you could go throughout the whole game and never have a volley scale. And, you know, you're you kind of stuck if they make a dungeon like that, unless... Or even the only if the way DLC can... introduces, like, a couple items that you can pick up that would give you something, like, akin to... Uh... Basically, like, something that represented each one of the champions and was vital in defeating that other dungeon, I think would be yeah. kind of cool. And that would probably, um, like, uh, probably appease a lot of the people that were kind of down on Breath of the Wild's dungeons, too, because that, that sounds like a little bit more of a traditional um, mm-hmm. setup for a dungeon. Unless what they go along with, um, and this is something else that I could see, is if it's a completely new file, I guess, mm-hmm. um, where you have all of the items or you have everything you need to go about it, which would kind of suck because you, you've, you know, the link that I have is going to be different than the link that's going to be in whatever canon, I guess, like with the armor that I'm wearing, whatever I have on as link is not going to be what somebody else has on as link. So it would kind of suck to have that reset, <clears throat> but that's the only way that I could see them doing it in such a way that everybody's at a level playing field with this. Um, unless, whatever dungeon it is, you know, and that, that was, that was, I guess the problem that they ran into with making it so open world that there was no linearity to it at all. Um, is that you hit that road bump of, okay, well 
the dungeons can't build on each other because you can do them in any order you can do them in any order Mm-hmm. And Nintendo's still figuring it out open world. Um, this really isn't like the best open world example. Like if you had to show someone how an open world game should play out, it probably shouldn't be Breath of the Wild. In terms of mechanically, the world itself is beautiful. I'm just talking about how like they set up dungeons and how the story progresses. Not necessarily the best way to handle it. Um, I always go back to something like The Witcher or um, you know Skyrim and how they handle open world is to have some sort of linearity for story's sake, but also have, you know, you can do whatever you want whenever you want. Um, but that that's just where I'd be a little concerned, is if they forced the player to get into a dungeon where they were required to have certain aspects already, like prerequisites already filled. I don't know how they would check that box off there. Yeah, it's... I, I think any prerequisites that you would need would have to be available, like, in this DLC. Like, they'd be created for the DLC. Now then, like now that we're talking about it, like, using Rivaldi's Gale as an example would be would be cool, but, like, using, I don't know, let's say, like, Rivaldi's Gust, it's uh, something, it's an item that you pick up and it can... It can make doors explode or something like that. Like if you if that's available in the DLC and there's four of them for each champion, then maybe that makes sense to do the dungeon that way instead. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, like now that we've talked about it, like the champions' powers wouldn't necessarily lend themselves very well to the uh, to the nature of the dungeon. Kind of kind of based on how Breath of the Wild progresses. But I think just like just like something that you need that like representation of each champion to uh, to beat the dungeon would be would be kind of what I was getting at. Well, and the thing is, too, is, uh, and my head is really itchy, um, that none of the items or none of the powers that you get, I guess, from the champions are essential to doing anything in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so the rewards you get is more along the lines of a helpful bonus um, as opposed to, say, oh, I want to be able to get to X. And the only way to do that is if I have um Rivali's Gale. And while Rivali's Gale makes climbing up mountains and, and getting to places a lot easier, there's no place it's blocked off because you don't have that. Um similarly with the other three powers, they don't really have a mechanic that influences the world or lets you get to a certain place. Um which is on, kind of while we're on the subject, let me cut in really quick because this just popped in my head. Which uh which Champion ability? Did you find most useful to least to least useful mm-hmm. in order of most to least? I mean, honestly, I spent. I guess Rivali's Gale was the most useful for me, um, especially early on when I was still going through all the the shrines and looking for um, the orbs to up my stamina because I couldn't climb up a lot of mountains mm-hmm. um, really quickly. Uh, so I just Revali scale up some really tall places. Like if I wanted to get into the Coliseum, um, and wanted to start from the top, work my way down, I just Revali scale up there and climb up the rest of the way. Um, Mipha's Grace was probably the second best one. Um, Urbosa's Fury, and then Daruk's Protection. I just like in Breath of the Wild, I tried to get hit as least like the least amount as possible. So. It always caught me off guard whenever our, his protection was activated because I was like, whoa, I was not expecting that because I'm trying to dodge and trying to get a 
rush attack or something like that. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Not that it wasn't like super useful, but or that he wasn't. I never super really useful, found it but... useful except for the battle with uh, Climate again and at the end because I could not dodge him for the life of me the first time mm-hmm. that I battled him. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I would say uh, I would say Mifa's Grace and then Revali's Gale for me at one and two, and then like coin toss for the for the remainder i didn't use the protection or the fury very often at all so well it was another one of those things like i never thought about herbosa's fury whenever i'd be charging up my sword or whatever weapon i had and so like automatically it would just happen and i was like oh i did not mean to do that at all um and i guess the problem with that is there really was no reward for beating the dungeons that helped you in the world at all like like I said, they were bonuses. Like they were things that, you know, you you could use. They were they were beneficial to to a certain extent, but it wasn't like something like okay, well, if you want a hundred percent the game, which you'd have to do, you'd have to go through the dungeons anyway to hundred percent the game. Mm-hmm. Um, if you wanted to hundred percent the game, then you have to do let's say Rivali's, you know, dungeon or Divine Beast in order to get whatever weapon or item or power he has so that you can go on and you know get to x y and z and get these items and that that would just have made a little bit more sense and more of a you know sense of reward whenever you beat the dungeons and so i'm just again i go back to with such a non-essential part of the game and of the gameplay experience i don't know how they could how they would be able to work that in Unless, like you said, they introduce items that are unique to the DLC, or they introduce um, a new save file where you are automatically expected to have, have done all this stuff. Um, I can't see the file where you're um, where you're expected to have the completion rate of a certain percentage. So, I, like, I would imagine if they're going to do something like that, it'd have to be new items or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, like I don't know. I just I hope that they. I just I just kind of hope for something more. And then, because when you went into the Divine Beasts, right, it was just, uh, you know, uh, Urboso yeah, was like, like oh, this, this guy, this guy beat me like a hundred years ago, like, watch out, you know? So, mm-hmm. I, like, I just want a little bit more from the champions other than them telling you that and then saying, like, great, there's only, like, three switches left, now two left, now one, like, you're almost there, you know? So, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I don't I mean, know. we've talked about that in the past, about the dungeons being kind of like, uh, just underwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this isn't even to say like anything about the dungeon's design just like the like in terms of the story like how much input the champions had on your progressing through the through the dungeons like like a good example would be like um, let's see like like the kind of interaction that I would kind of be hoping for with the champions is similar to like uh, Ritu and Jabba Jabba's belly something that mm-hmm. uh, or or any of the any of the ones in um, Wind Waker where you need your your but like Errol and uh, what would have been a good way to handle this is if when you got into the divine beast and they were like okay well you know theoretically each divine beast had something that only um, like the attribute that they had could only be applied to that champion um, mm-hmm. so it would make sense in uh, Rivali's Divine Beast. If you needed Rivali's Gale from the from the outset, like you got these abilities when you started the the Divine Beast's dungeons, so you would use them to go throughout the dungeon, and that would have made it a little bit more 
oh, I understand the necessity for this now. Right. Um, you, you'd have to change the abilities, of course, because then Mephis Grace and Drake's Protection wouldn't be... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. You'd have to change that in a way. I, know, that, I, I like that, though. Like, I like what you're saying about it. It makes it a little bit more... Uh, like personalized like, oh wow you need to get through the dungeon but the only way to do that is if you have this ability that you can use later on in the world yeah so i don't know i'm i'm, I'm hoping uh for something cool like that and i'm yeah i'm curious to see like what the dungeon itself is going to be because like i said there's only four divine beasts so yeah mm-hmm. uh, i'm really looking this- forward to it i i still haven't bought the first pack of dlc because like extra boss battles and stuff don't really do it for me but uh i'm definitely mm-hmm. definitely gonna buy this one like the day it comes out yeah, um, and then I can uh, then I can finally finish all the Korok seeds with my little Korok mask. Oh boy, <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I don't even know if I'm gonna go back and touch that, or maybe I won't. I don't know. I don't know oh, if I'm dedicated on. enough for that. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about is Nintendo's approach to uh, marketing and how it's changed and how they've kind of had this weird like roller coaster since 2006 so in 2006 we saw the the Wii and that had probably one of the most memorable ad campaigns that we would like to play thing where those two Japanese men would show up at people's doors and play Wii bowling or Wii sports or whatever <laughs> yeah. um, and everybody remembers that like that was that was one of the ways that they really marketed the Wii very 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 well um, and then what was it 2012 2013 when the Wii U came out um marketing just kind of stops mm-hmm. and it was it was just not good and so you saw from, from day one it was confusion if this was oh, yeah, a yeah. new console if it was an add-on like well for me three the first thing that they showed whenever they revealed the wii u was just the gamepad you didn't see the actual console and yeah. so there was really no uh like clear um messaging there so then, kind of fast forward to now, where you have uh, the Switch, and you have Breath of the Wild, and then had that marketing campaign behind that. Um, they even got a Super Bowl spot, uh, yeah. which was huge. Um, and you know, you know what I hated have. at first, but now like I love, is that whenever you see the Switch logo, it's the that little snap that goes with it, yeah. you know? I think it's so it's so cheesy, but it, at least it sticks in your head with the Switch. Well, yeah, it's, it's something memorable, and yeah. that's what like that's what the Wii had was the hook. Like we would like to play, and the Switch has the snap, like the Switch sound, um, and so they have something that you associate it with uh, when you think about it. When you think about the ad campaign, um, and it's interesting to see that they've learned from it. But it's weird because I don't know if you can actually say that they've learned from it um, because what you have is. Under Satoru Iwata's direction, the Wii into the Wii U, and then under Kamishima's direction, the Switch. Uh, so I, it could be argued that Nintendo has learned how to market better, or it could be learned that because of the new staff and because of the way that they're handling things, you know, their their way of doing it's different, and so we're seeing vastly different marketing strategies. Um, and I'm going to take a cop out here and say the answer is both. Nintendo has learned how to market better and Nintendo has taken a step backwards. And I'll tell you why. 
I went into uh, Spencer's today, which is like a store that sells. I don't know if you have this in the states. It's a store that yeah, sells. Uh, okay, so you know, I went to Spencer's today. I'm looking at hats. Um, I'm looking and like, there's all these Pokemon hats. There's all these Mario hats. There's tons of Zelda hats, right? And I'm looking around and I'm I'm like, you know what? If they had a Metroid hat, I would buy it like right now. But they don't. So I go into EB next door. I'm looking at all the Zelda accessories, and there's tons of them. I'm looking at the, the Mario plushies and like the and the Splatoon shirts that they have over there. And I was like, if they had a Metroid shirt, I'd probably buy it, but they don't. So Nintendo is really great. They, they've they've realized certain series of theirs the marketing potential. Like before. Before probably, I don't know, let's uh, let's be generous and say before, right around the time when the Wii and Twilight <laughs> Princess came out, you would never see Zelda stuff anywhere, right? Like, people wouldn't know, you know, what a Triforce was if you asked them or the logo or have any idea what it was. Now you see Zelda paraphernalia everywhere. Zelda's licensed on everything. Oh, yeah. Right? And then uh, that's really taken off in the last couple of years. And, like, you can kind of see Splatoon going in the same way because there's a lot more Splatoon licensed stuff out there. Well, and their um, ad campaign behind that was insane too. Yeah. Like the the ads on TV, and then having the uh, the game buses or whatever it is, the game vans drive around and yeah. have Splatoon there to play before it came out. Just recently, um, Arms. The campaign behind that was really good. It was really strong. There's uh, yeah. There's a lot of uh, you know Arms events going on. I've seen a couple demos even in in my town uh, set up where people can play it. So. Well, like, here's here's the thing though that that you're seeing is that these games have an identity. So we've gotten to the point with Zelda where we know basically what it is. Um, like, it, you may not be able to put it into words, but you see a game and you're like, oh, that looks like Zelda. Or it looks like it has Zelda, a, Zelda styling. You good? Oof, sorry, everybody. I'm just dying over here. <coughs> Please continue. <coughs> but you see, you see the Zelda um, style. You see the Zelda gameplay. And you're like, oh, that's Zelda. Um, and so it has that specific identity. And you see Mario and you know, oh, well, that's Mario because of the gameplay. Because um, it's a platformer, whether it's 3D or 2D. Um, and then you see you know, Splatoon. Oh, it's a, it's a first-person shooter, cartoon shooter. Um, so we know what that is. We know how to market that. Um, we see ARMS. It's a third-person 3D um, <clears throat> fighter. So we know how to market that. The problem is <coughs> with Metroid, like you're saying, is they, they don't understand what they have. Well, they don't understand. I don't think they know what it is. Exactly. And that's the problem that you're running into is because Metroid's always existed in in two sections now, or it it hasn't always, but ever since the jump to um, Prime, it's existed in two separate sections. So you have the Side scroller Metroidvania that that you know gave the credence to the name, um, but then you also have the Metroid Prime first person shooter, and which is still for all intents and purposes a Metroidvania, just the yeah, different perspective. It's just, it's just a different perspective. Um, but no, you, I, I agree with you though. It's like Nintendo, and this is what I think they're very good with marketing because they know how to market. They're proven winners. And they know how to market things that they understand. Like Splatoon is a cutesy game that can appeal to that appeals to children, but also can appeal to older parents mm-hmm. or, or gamers or people who grew up with Nintendo because the gameplay is solid. And they know how to market that. They what they don't know how to do 
is market something like like Metroid or even some of the games that we were talking about last last week that yeah, they have made even in a hit long time. Earthbound. Like how would yeah. how would Nintendo go about <clears throat> marketing Earthbound? And, and, it, and it's unfortunate because Metroid doesn't fit the uh, the typical Nintendo demographic, which is like young families and and you know maybe their parents or something like that. What it does fit though, the demographic that it does fit is all of the people that play the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One and have games like The Evil Within or like Wolfenstein on there. Like those kind of games are popular with a with a wide demographic and Metroid would be popular with that too. I have no doubt if Metroid was on another platform it would sell like hotcakes. <clears throat> but well, Nintendo Metroid... just doesn't really know how to how to get behind it. Which is which sucks. So Metroid is is Metroid could have been Microsoft's answer to Halo if they pushed it more and kept, you know, putting resources into it. Um, Mm -hmm. In terms of when when to jump to the first-person perspective and and the 3D. Um, It is is baffling to see the ad ad campaign behind Metroid Prime, the first one, which was, like, amazing, and then Metroid Prime sold well because of that. And then, like, just the falling-off-the-cliff ad campaign, or lack thereof, for Metroid Prime 2, like... I kid you not, the, the commercial for Metroid Prime 2 is like this super solemn, serious, like, like commercial where two people are talking about addiction and you're like, oh my god, is this for like a rehab center or something? <laughs> and, the, and the end of the commercial, it's like, Metroid Prime 2 echoes, don't let your friends get addicted or something like that. It's, it's 30 seconds, there's zero footage of any Metroid game and it's completely off-putting and you're like, what the f- who made this? Who signed <laughs> off on this? <laughs> Come on. Yeah, it just... It's... Nintendo, they have hits and misses with their marketing. And you can even look at the uh, original Majora's Mask marketing campaign and just be like, that was, like, incredibly dark. Mm-hmm. Like, there were real people <clears throat> watching the world about to end saying, Link, you're our only hope. And it's like, you have three days. It's like, before the world ends. That's an incredibly dark ad. Yeah. Like if you go back and look up the the videos for it, it's not like a happy, cheerful, you know, upbeat thing. Um, and I think at the end, like the world ended or something like that in that commercial. That was an intense commercial. And so it, it's interesting to see how they approach some of this stuff. But I think in recent years, well, not necessarily recent years, but in the past, I say decade or half a decade, Nintendo has become a lot more selective of how their IP has been used. Um and how it's being viewed. So they cultivate, and we've seen this when they answer why they shut down certain games, um, is because there's a certain vision that they have for games and mm-hmm. a certain way that they see their IPs, and they're going to make sure that that's the only vision you see. So when you look at Pokemon, um, and then you see somebody's fan creation of Pokemon that's picked up a lot of traction, but there's you know cursing or violence in it, they're going to be like, no, we're shutting that down, because that's not... Pokemon, that's not what we what we make it to be. Um, and so I understand, I don't necessarily like it, but I understand why they do that. But it just comes down to a question of why they market or don't market certain things the way that they do or don't. Um, I mean, I, mean, it, I guess we kind of talked about like, now, but yeah. They... And Nintendo's almost like that that teacher teaching a classroom full of kids and all their IPs are their kids. And Nintendo definitely has their favorites. You know what I mean? <laughs> the the kids that they like the best, and then there's the kids that they tolerate, and then there's 
you know, the kids that get detention all the time, and, and those kids would be like Metroid and Kid Icarus and Earthbound and stuff like that that are held after class or something, you know, like, you know what I mean? So, yeah. and like, so, so yeah, that's why I mean, like, on one hand, I think that they've done a great job in the last couple of years, because I've never seen more Nintendo stuff in my life than I have the last couple of years, like on mm. t-shirts, on lunchboxes, and just stuff everywhere. But, uh, but it, it's only some Nintendo stuff. It's not, it's not everything, like, I've never seen a, a Star Fox t-shirt. I've never seen, a, a, you know, a Metroid hat or, or just something like that. And it's interesting know? because so. you think if any place was going to have like a Metroid hat, it'd be like Hot Topic or Spencer's. Yeah, exactly. Like if, if you had to pick one place to market that to like a really hardcore grungy like type mm-hmm. of people... Spencer's or, or Hot Topic. There you go. And, and even uh, like like last month, I think it was Spencer's had that exclusive uh, Dark Link um, lineup. They had like hats, t-shirts, that whole shebang. So it's just weird. Um, like I said, I just don't think that they really know. Like they don't have a clear concept of what exactly Metroid is, and they therefore they don't know how to market it. So if I had a product that I was wanting to sell. And over the years, it's had some changes to it, not so that much that it's imperceptible, but that you could definitely say, okay, this isn't really what we had at the beginning. We like it, but it's not what we had at the beginning. Um, and then there's a few different versions of it going around, and they're all, they're all your versions. Um, and so, you, but you don't really know how to market it. Like, do you market it as, you know, a 3D first person shooter? Or do you market it as a 2D side-scrolling Castlevania, Metroidvania um, type of game? Because right now, that's what that's kind of what they're running into, releasing Metroid, uh, Metroid Returns or Samus Returns. I, just, I, just, like, I don't think that they understand the tone of Metroid and like, because they... Like, with all those other games, they have that cutesy kind of tongue-in-cheek tone that goes with it. The thing that does give me hope is the Breath of the Wild trailer that they showed at the uh, at the Switch event in January. Because that was just, like, the most pitch-perfect trailer I've seen them make probably since Twilight Princess. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, if they can just do that with Metroid Prime 4 and have a trailer like that straight to the point, you know what it is. It's, it's serious, it generates excitement... Mm. That's uh, like that's what Metroid needs. It's just uh, something to, to to heat it up and get the train rolling again because the train has been, you know, stuck in the cold for almost a decade now. So, so let's talk about Metroid Prime Four then. Um, yeah. What we want to see in it, what what our hopes for. Um, I actually went back. Um, I have on my Wii U the <clears throat> Metroid Prime trilogy when they re-released that um, on the eShop. Uh, and I've been playing through, or I was playing through two, Metro Prime two, and then I, I stopped. Three is actually my favorite. Uh, actually, well, three is awesome. Two, three is three is probably my favorite to play through. And my problem with two is that I loved a hundred percent that one. Uh, so I go through it and actively try to hundred percent that game. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I don't know why it's that specific one. I think it's because I did it once, and then I got like ninety nine percent, and then I missed an item, and so now it's just a constant compulsion. Um, I really but, like all three Metroid Primes. I, oh yeah, definitely, definitely Prime One is my favorite, just for you know sentimental reasons. Prime Three is amazing. If I had to pick my least, I'd probably say Prime Two, just because you use ammo, which I'm like not super down with. But 
Yeah, Prime, Prime, Prime Three awesome. is probably my favorite Metroid Prime game. Um, Elysium, I think that's what it's called. The mm-hmm. uh, really bright cloud city. I just enjoy being there. Oh, it's a so change cool of tone on your grapple like yeah. roller coaster. And it's interesting in that how such a bright area and like a really bright tone can still feel really eerie and creepy in a Metroid game, um, in a Metroid Prime game. And that that was the perfect balance of like, oh, we can make a completely bright area where there's sun shining and you can see, you know, creatures flying. Some of them are friendly. Some of them are just birds. Mm -hmm. Some of them are, you know, enemies. You can see all these things going around, but you still are creeped out and you still are are on edge because of it. Um, But aside from that, also, Metroid Prime 3 had a lot of voice acting, which was... Which was kind of new because as far as I can like look back, um, two and one didn't have voice acting in them. No, they were strictly um, text. And in three, you had all of the other hunters were voice acted. You had um, the computer that talked to Samus uh, was voice voiced by someone. Uh, the generals, like, so you had these characters that were not necessarily developed, but you had them voiced and talked, and they would talk to you. And that they was sound something more realistic, really see. and they, you connect with them more just on the principle that they have voices, and you're not reading text. Well, and like I, even I look back on that game, and it wasn't weird to me to hear them talk. Like I was like, "Oh, you know, this is natural. Mm-hmm. This this feels like something natural." Um, and I mean, I'm still not necessarily a fan of a silent protagonist. And I think at the very end of the game, she talks, or Samus talks, and gives like a rundown of what happened. Um, but it's still weird watching her in a situation where people are talking to her and she's not talking back. But regardless, um, one of the things I guess is a prerequisite for me now with Metroid Prime 4 is a voice acted cast. A yes. voice cast. Um, say what you will about Metroid, Fed, or not Federation Force, Metroid Other M. But it did have a like a full voice cast. Like there was not a line of dialogue in there that wasn't voiced. As far as I can remember, um, it was very cinematic. And I loved that about that game. Like, I loved being able to to hear characters, you know, panic or frustration or, you know, their tone of excitement or wh- whatever was going on. Like, I liked being able to hear that in characters. Um, and going back into another Metroid game where we don't have that, it's going to be a little weird. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I agree. I think that it needs to go a step further than Breath of the Wild and have every single voice that you hear in Metroid needs to be actually voiced. Keep the, you know, keep the scanning at a, as a text, that's fine, but mm-hmm. there should be comparatively way less people in oh, a yeah. Metroid game Impressive versus a Zelda world. game, so there's no reason why those, uh, why those you know, um, people shouldn't have voices. One of the reasons that that Breath of the Wild trailer was so impactful was because it had the awesome narration and the awesome, um, like, clips, uh, and you heard the, the Great Deku Tree and then the old lady, like, Impa, telling the story of, of Calamity Ganon. And, like, that. those are the things that just make, you know, take your game to that next level, and they're easy, simple things. So, yeah. It's, so, it's, that's it's like whenever, um, I guess this is, this is my biggest problem, I guess, with JRPGs. Um, just the way that the genre plays out is that there are, you know, there's, there's two, basically two types of cutscenes um, in general. Uh, sometimes they actually have fully animated, like anime cutscenes. Um, but I'll, you know, go to, 
Xenoblade Chronicles X or even more recently Persona 5. Um, they'll have certain scenes that are completely voice acted and then some of them that are just text boxes. Mm-hmm. And you can tell when <clears throat> one's going to be one or the other, um, but it kind of breaks that immersion away. And so that's one of the things that I really hope that they don't do in Metroid because Metroid's such a cinematic property for Nintendo in the fact that the way that it plays out and the way that, you know, even that, with that Metroid game uses M, atmosphere far more than exactly. any other Nintendo game. And everything that, <clears throat> you know, from, from music to the voices <clears throat> to uh, just the overall colors like all those things blend in to make a different atmosphere for the game uh, especially in metroid prime 3 like uh, that that's just going back to it that had the perfect blend of all those to me um people might disagree i, I think that was probably the perfect metroid prime game um just because of all the stuff that it had and the way that it all played out um but in metroid prime 4 I guess the thing that's that we talked about before <clears throat> um, is where is the story going to go? And while we have talked about it possibly being like a placeholder name, like, oh, it's not necessarily going to be a prime game. I feel like they wouldn't say Metroid Prime 4 if it wasn't going to be in the same storyline. And that's what confuses mm-hmm. me because at the end of 3, unless it's like a prequel, unless it's something we haven't seen before and they're like, we're retconning other M and this is the beginning to the, the series. I, I don't uh, think so. Like, I think this is where I disagree with you. I think when they say Metroid prime four, what they're really saying is it's going to play like Metroid prime one through three, not, and it's not going to play like other M. So you can expect like the first person adventure versus like a continuation of the story. If it was a continuation of the story, I'm down with that. Uh, like, honestly, like the story itself in a Metroid game doesn't matter to me a whole lot so much as the atmosphere and everything else going on. But mm-hmm. what I, one of my uh, one of my big hopes for this game is that they create a villain for Samus, like that perfect foil for Samus. Because Metroid's had some some good villains, um, but I don't think that it's just ever had that force of nature villain that was like could go head to head with Samus. Um, in a way that's like, that's just like damn like this is the Joker to Samus's Batman like Ridley I mean, is say, almost it Dark Samus was almost it but I, I don't know and maybe maybe you guys will disagree with me but I just like I feel like they're just like a, a notch below um, where Samus is and maybe that's because Ridley's never been the final boss in a Metroid game save for uh, Zero Mission but I don't know I, I just for, I, for me I think I look at it like. <clears throat> not necessarily comparing it to Batman and the Joker because uh, I don't think that that's an apt comparison. Um, but I compare Dark Samus as a foil to Samus in the way that you'd compare Link and maybe Ganondorf in the fact that they are polar opposites of each other. Um, and that the way that they... like. I, I but, guess my only the only thing holding me back from agreeing with you is that like Dark Samus is more of like a creature versus like a character. You know that's what I mean? True. Yeah. Um, like the, like she was close. Like you know, visually, absolutely. Like the two of them squaring off like was was amazing. But 
I don't know. She just says maybe it's just because she didn't have any dialogue or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, and maybe that's Ridley's problem too, actually, when I'm thinking about it now. But they just don't, they, I don't know. They, it just doesn't feel like that, uh, like epic, um, counter, counterpart to Samus, you know? Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from. Like, I, I'm just trying to think of like an app comparison because, <clears throat> you know, they're, they're rivals, but like they go further than Link and Dark Link. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, while Dark absolutely. Link was, while Dark Link was like a for, like the the mirror of Link, wasn't necessarily like oh my gosh this is definitely like the ultimate enemy that I'm facing right now. It's like this mm-hmm. is just a, a mini boss and um in Ocarina of Time in Adventure of Link he's the final boss. But you can, I mean even then you could say Adventure of Link. So I guess you could say okay the Adventure of Link version of Shadow Link is like dark samus mm-hmm. um because while they're not ne- they're not necessarily their own character dark link was ganon and dark samus was metroid prime and spoiler alert sorry if anybody has never played or heard of any of this stuff before Oops. and so i can cut i can see that comparison there and in the fact that this is like a tough enemy like you're saying but it's not necessarily like this is the antithesis to everything that I am as a person. Yeah. So yeah, I, 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 get, I don't really I know what, like, what I'm that. looking for in that sense. I just know that like the other guys have come close, but they just, they never quite got there for me with Samus. I mean, it's because I love Samus so much that like, I just want like the, the perfect like foil for her. But, uh, well, the difficulty is nailing down who Samus is and figuring out a foil for Samus because, in some games, you know, she's this hardcore badass bounty hunter. In other M, she's not really. Um, Let's just take other M off the table because I think that's <laughs> what we're. I think when they say Metroid Prime Four, that's what they're really doing is saying like, like we know we messed up with other M. Like yeah. Samus isn't this whiny derpy teenager. She's badass. So well, no, and that's what I'm saying. Like, she has a character, but not is not characterized enough. Yeah. To the point where you're like, okay, I know her personality in the way that, well, you know, she's courageous, but she's also stubborn and headstrong. So, mm-hmm. obviously, she's... And, and like, I respect what Other M tried to do. It's just that it didn't do it well, you know? Um, and it, it tried to build up Samus. It tried to build up Ridley. It, it, it just it had a lot of, like, good ideas and principle, but just an execution. It just made me feel... It made me feel like they cheapened Samus in my eyes, which is why I just don't like that game so much. Yeah, I mean, the overall, story so just, much. Actually, the game itself is fine, but I mean, I'd, I'd agree that the game itself was fine. I just didn't really like the first person parts. Just, yeah. they, they broke the the flow of the game. Well, and your um, Wii mode juggling, you're holding it and then twisting it. It was like a bop. It. it was ridiculous. Yeah, you couldn't actually move when you're in first person. It was just, mm-hmm. um, but it. That's why, like, I look at Metroid Other M not necessarily as a staple for Metroid series, but, like, it had full voice acting. Um, it had fully rendered cutscenes. Like, that's the kind of stuff I want to see in Metroid Prime 4. Yeah. I want to see these fully rendered cutscenes with, you know, everybody's talking. Like, there's not a single line of dialogue where nobody's, or where, where there's, like, voiceless text. And even if you look at Metroid Prime or Metroid Other M, there isn't a cutscene in that game that isn't a fully animated cutscene. It was it was a very cinematic <clears throat> game, and yeah. I'd, again, I'd, I'd love to see that in Metroid Prime Four. Yeah, so, and yeah, I, guess, I agree. Like a lot of what Metroid Other M tried to do, 
um, like were, were principally sound ideas. So take those sound mm-hmm. ideas, but just execute excellently, <laughs> you know, instead of what yeah. other M did. So we we kind of come to the we we know we, we want it to be like we want it to be a first person like Metroid Prime mm-hmm. one two and three in the way that it plays out. You go finding items, um, like. You know, I, I do want to throw something out there, which is on my uh, wish list for Metroid Prime 4. And that's something that I just thought about a couple minutes ago. But in Metroid Prime 2 and 3, you had the ability to get the screw attack and to wall jump. And while it was kind of neat, they just they didn't feel... That was the hardest thing to do in those games. It was just yeah, it, it just felt so out of difficult. place, and it felt very, very forced. Like they were in there just for the sake of having them in there, rather than they added anything. Because let's like let's be honest, you had to go out of your way to find the two walls that went like this to actually wall jump, right? <laughs> with like, the, it, it with wasn't the specific very, ways that they looked. And, yeah, like it wasn't it wasn't very useful to have it because there weren't very many places that actually required it. And I know well, the there wall were, jumping, but they were forced. Yeah, like, yeah, they were, like, they were oh, forced. Like, they okay. didn't need to be there. You could have easily just had a platform here, here, and here. But, <laughs> I, like, I don't know. It, it's Those are definitely staples of the Metroid franchise. But, like, if you, if it's going to feel forced and it's going to feel weird, like, maybe it's just best to leave them in the 2D world, you know? Or if you can figure out a way to bring them into the 3D world without mm-hmm. having that as a problem, then that'd be great. And I think yeah. the, <clears throat> the difficulty would be when you were doing the screw jump or the screw attack in the Metroid Prime series, like basically you had to be straight ahead, staring mm-hmm. at the wall at a perfect like 180. You could be looking to the side or you jump to the side and you had to be running at the same time. And so many times you just run, bounce off the wall, like bounce into the wall, bounce away from mm-hmm. the wall. And so it was just difficult. Like I guess the only... This is, hey, this is like the worst thing you could compare this to. But if you had like a homing attack like in Sonic where it locked onto the wall when you did it and you'd bounce off from there. What about this? I mean, what, I, about, what about, you know, the motion that you get when you turn into the morph ball is pretty flawless, right? And then when you're in the morph ball itself, that, that feels fluent and natural. What if you had like another way and you... And when you go into screw attack, you just, you did the same morph ball, um, animation, but now you're, you know, you're in the screw attack and instead of the A button, um, being responsible for, for placing bombs, that's your jump. So you can just jump around like, like, I don't know, like something like that, but uh, that might I mean, be I imagine more natural, if anything, but it would be more like, uh, <clears throat> just while like not necessarily a quick time event. But, like, you'd land on it and be like, time it to press A, and then time mm-hmm. it to press A, or whatever button it is, in just a way that, again, like, I'd like to see it more along the lines of, I hate comparing Metroid to Sonic, because that's just, like, the worst thing you could do. Um, but, like, have a homing attack where you lock on to that specific part, and there's no, not necessarily room for error, but, you know, you have to time it right, and you have to get it to work right, and... You don't risk, you know, all these other factors, <clears throat> excuse me, all these other factors that could ruin the mechanic um, just because that's, you know, I look back on playing with the screw attack and accidentally be facing like one degree mm-hmm. right and I'd bounce straight into the wall or I'd bounce off the wall and 
off into a pit and it'd just be like, oh, are you really? Are you kidding me? So, so like, I agree. There, there are certain things that don't necessarily translate well at the moment, but if they could figure out how to translate them into a 3D space, yeah, absolutely. that yeah. would definitely be favorable. I mean, like you said, I, I remember I heard someone staples. say, like, when Metroid Prime came out, it was on, like, a message board somewhere, like, oh, no screw attack in a Metroid game is, like, no Master Sword in a Zelda game, which is, like, totally not on the same level at all. So, like, <laughs> if they if they needed to leave it out, I'd rather them do that and then, until they could find a way to perfect it and bring it in rather mm-hmm. than just have it there just for, like, this weird long jump that you need to make or these awkward, like, straight up and down hallways, you know? Well, and it doesn't make sense, too, like, it's just another way to travel, and it's more of a <clears throat> hindrance than anything else because you've already mm-hmm. got the spider ball, so you just, you know, grapple yeah. on with, with the, the morph ball. And, you know, it's, it's like I said, like you said, like we both said, it's better to have it in a 3D space if they can make it work in a 3D space rather than force it to work in a 3D space yeah. because that's not always going to translate well. Yeah, well, and you don't want people to think that, like, that have never played a Metroid game before, that, like, oh, this this power-up called the Screw Attack sucks, like, you know? <laughs> well, like, even when you look at uh, the translation from uh, top-down Zelda games to 3D Zelda games, the way that certain things work are, like, they, they work a bit different um, than they would in, you know, a 3D Zelda game and mm-hmm. a 2D Zelda game. Um, like, the, the hook shot and... You know the not necessarily the boomerang, but like they're the way that they're implemented in 3D is is functionally similar, but mechanically different. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what you need to do when translating any game from 2D to 3D. And that's what they need to do with with Metroid mechanics is have them functionally similar but mechanically different, and yeah. not try to do a one to one you know comparison to it. I agree. Um, even and, you know, I replayed I replayed Super Metroid like a couple weeks ago, and like even playing that game, the space jump isn't even all that great. So I like <laughs> I could live without the the screw attack if they needed to. But no, I, yeah. I agree. If it's, uh, if you can do it, then awesome. If you can't do it awesomely, then don't do it. <laughs> yeah, and again, we you know we have no idea. We don't have any idea that of anything about this game mm-hmm. like, other than the logo. Yeah, I kind of hope it's, it's called something up. else other than the Metroid Prime 4, actually. I hope it's like Metroid Prime something, you know? Rebirth. So, yeah, that'd be cool. A- Afterbirth. Just a Binding of Isaac. Just don't give no. it a Kingdom Hearts title or something like that. Those are pretty ridiculous. Metroid Prime 4 and a half by 5. <laughs> yeah. Three but, morph yeah, balls just... and a half. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully. We're not there yet. I get to see Xenoblade getting to that point, but not not Metroid. Yeah. We're already at that point. Like, I don't understand the, the naming mechanics of no. Xenoblade. Xenoblade 2018. Xenoblade. Xenoblade. Xenoblade Chronicles X. Xenoblade Chronicles 2. All right. You know? Yeah. What are they going to do when they get to 10? Just 10 or X? No more Roman numerals. Maybe it'll be 10 slash X. 10X. <laughs> over, over 2, birth by sleep. Oof. <laughs> Dream drop distance. All right. I think that's it for this week. Cool, cool. Sorry we didn't have one last week, but we got one this week. We had Spider-Man last week, so... Uh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, everybody. You got to, you know, priorities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. 
See you guys next week. Later, everybody.